Hello and welcome to episode three of ESPN Scrum Reset. My name's Sam Bruce. I'm the associate editor of ESPN.com.au. Joined again by Christy Doran of the 15 and Fox Sports and also a special guest for the first time this year, the Lord of Ballymore and Suncorp himself, the only man with a plaque to in his honour at Suncorp, Jimmy Tucker. Uh, mate, welcome. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, it's a bit uh, daunting going to Ballymore these days. The McLean stands only half there. No press box and just a bit of a lot of Besser blocks, but uh, they're all in a jumble. Did you manage to pick up a, a souvenir for safekeeping from Ballymore, Jimmy? I did. Um, <laughs> very kindly, I went to the press box and one of the uh, workmen sawed out uh, three pieces of the press bench. So the long-term plan is to just manicure them just right and just have a little bit of press bench there. And being Ballymore, there's still the stickers from 2001 British and Irish Lions Tour there. So I've got an old tattered Jim Tucker Courier Mail sticker from 20 years ago. Just Jimmy, you must, you must have an entire room dedicated to bits of memorabilia around the traps. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a few things. Uh, Greg Norman's last divot from the 1986 British Open, that's still in a Turnbury Tower down in the, uh, in the room. <laughs> how good, how good. Well, uh, hopefully Doran and I might get to travel again one day, mate, and we'll be able to start building a collection uh, as good as yours. Boys, um, let's get into it. Um, of course, uh, well, just an absolute cracking game on Saturday night down there in Canberra. Uh, Red's getting the job done over the Brumbies at the death. Um, so many things we can unpack from this one. But, Jimmy, I'll start with you. Um, where do you think that Aussie derby rated in the all-time list of um, inter-Australian matches during the, the Super Era? I think very highly, mainly because uh, a lot of the threads of matches between the, the real derby sides have been lopsided. Like, the Reds-Brumbies is a lopsided rivalry. That's why the celebrations were so immense from the Reds, and that's why it meant so much to old-time Queensland players because uh, it's really a Bermuda Triangle down there in Canberra for Reds teams, and that was a, a magnificent win. Uh, where does it rank? Um, I think if you ask Brumbies fans, uh, they'd say a classic was 1997 when they put 50 points on the Waratahs and Joe Rolfe scored three tries. That, that's their idea of a classic uh, rivalry match. So it didn't have to be close. They just celebrated immensely after that one. Um, some of the Queensland New South Wales games have been quite grinding and have had moments. Like you remember the Dom Shipley try on the bell yep. uh, down in Sydney, which won a great uh, win for the, the Reds. That wasn't such a good game earlier in the, in the match. It was sort of just, just a game. Great finish. Um, Wycliffe-Palu try at Suncorp Stadium. A few years before that, the Reds looked like they'd broken through to break a, a real drought against the Waratahs and Palu scores a try and, and that fed into the Reds' uh, great era at that stage into the 2011 Super Rugby final uh, victory. So, yeah, there's been turning point games where that was a real classic, but most of all, it was needed right now. That is the big thing. Absolutely. Christy, um, your major takeaways... From the contest, mate, obviously enjoyed it immensely, I'm sure. But um, what stood out for you in terms of the play from from either side? Oh, well, I think I think the the naysayers will go 38 to 40. It's not a huge endorsement to defences, and we know that 
the NRC right, right the way through. And I know Jim probably has a different perspective on the NRC, but there was always a lot of points that were conceded. Um, and Australian teams historically have been conceding a lot of points, particularly the Wallabies. But what we saw was two teams playing with a lot of endeavour. We saw James O'Connor deciding to take shots at goal. When's the last time we saw an Australian captain or a, a super rugby captain go, no, it's 17-0 down, but we're going to go for goal here and incrementally work ourselves back into the game. 17-3, 17-6, they scored the try. They're only a few points behind. So I, I really appreciated how Queensland worked themselves back into the game. Um, bit of craft. We saw... We saw a phenomenal finish with a bit of skill there from Hunter Paisami at the end, a bit of acrobatic um, agility there from Jordan Bataille to finish it off. But if you if you rewind five months ago, we saw the same sort of play against Argentina and it didn't it didn't pay off. The ball went fractionally long. Also a left footer from Paisami. Pataya was the man going after it. This time it works. Those are the sorts of plays that, the Wallabies uh, and looking forward need to be able to finish and, and take when they're offering. That's what I really appreciated about it. I thought guys like Rob Valentini from a forwards perspective started to enforce themselves into the game. And we've seen glimpses of what Valentini can do, but uh, we, we haven't seen him dominate a super rugby game. And physically we saw him dominate it from a collision perspective in an attack I know someone pointed out and defensively he didn't quite do what a flanker needs to do uh, and that's to make tackles as well. But uh, th- those are the sorts of things that you want to see. The guys like Valentini, who, who should be an international player and a regular international player, starting to take the game by the scruff. So uh, that, that was an exciting thing. But the best thing, thing maybe was 10,000 fans at Canberra. We haven't seen that in a long time. and. And it was a good advertisement off the back of the night before where there was also a decent crowd in the West. To have a good crowd in Canberra, it got the game it deserved. Yeah, for sure. And, um, Jimmy, let's, um, let's talk about those, uh, those penalty goals that James O'Connor took through the match. And then, of course, before that final flurry where they managed to get back up uh, and take uh, that try through Patara off the kick from Paisami. Um, an article of yours on, on rugbycom.au. And we've all, we're all aware of the James O'Connor comeback story and how he's returned. As a bloke who's been, I guess, um, across his career, um, right back from his early days before he went across to the force, came back to the Reds, went away again and has come back yet again. Um, did you ever think we'd get to the stage where James O'Connor would be skippering the Reds and making these kinds of calls? Did he have that in him, even though it wasn't present perhaps earlier in his career? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, no one ever doubted uh, his ability and his sense around the game early on. Um, his handbrake was really uh, his own behaviour that was affecting him and, and the team. He didn't respect the team uh, as much with some of his behaviour, like not turning up to the announcement of a World Cup team just because you uh, slept in after a night out in the eastern suburbs. That, that's just not on. And he, he was given too much latitude there multiple times. Now, he, he's learned from that, and there, there's been quite a bit of dialogue from Brad Thorne and talking to James O'Connor saying, look, you've got a chance to change the narrative here, like the, all those words, the tags, uh, bad boy, um, Brand O'Connor, all the ones that were, were real millstones around his neck earlier in his career. Now we've got tags like Captain Sensible or thing, things like that. 
And O'Connor's really reshaped his career brilliantly. And Australian rugby has lacked for having senior players. And he's seeing someone like James O'Connor, who's 30, being wise enough to, to see how much football you can play in seven or 10 minutes in a game. So take the penalty goals. Now, we, we had conversations years ago, I think it was against England, Michael Hooper down in Melbourne decided not to take a kick at the penalty goal. And then time ran out, even though Australia was sort of rolling into the game and that series was lost against Eddie Jones's England team. So there's always a percentage to kicking for the corner and getting that line-out drive try. The Brumbies do it great because they always kick it five metres out. Even on the weekend, you saw the Reds kick for touch 10 metres out. That's a completely different scenario for a rolling ball try off a line-out. So to answer your question about O'Connor, uh, redefining uh, the discussion about his legacy in Australian rugby, but not just for a week. Um, I, I never used the word redemption around O'Connor because it was too easy to see him tripping up again. But now, having put a, a body of work over 18 months together, you can say that James O'Connor is a different player and a different man. Christy, um, where does this leave the Brumbies? Obviously, we're not going to get carried away with the fact that they've they've dropped the one game. Um, clearly, it was a loss at home. They had a few guys out. But has this competition shifted uh, into the Reds' favour and, and how the Brumbies uh, head up there in a few weeks' time, do you think? Before I answer that question, Sammy, I'll just correct Jimmy for a moment. It was Stephen Moore instead of Michael Hooper that, that made those decisions in 2016. But obviously, Hooper played a, a big role in that. But that addressing this point, I, I still don't think uh, much is, has shifted. Psychologically, perhaps, it's shifted for the Reds to have broken their drought, uh, stretching back to 2014, I think it was, um, in Canberra. But they still beat the Brumbies last year in Brisbane. Um, and, and secondly, when you lose the likes of uh, Alan Alatoa and Connell McInerney as well, I think... Um, that the scrum really, the Reds dominated that, particularly at the back end where they started to give away a number of penalties, the Brumbies. So obviously injuries and suspensions always are going to be part of the game. But I think that once those reinforcements return, once the leadership of Val Latoa returns, it's a different kettle of fish for the Brumbies. Um, Tanala Tupo really dominated it right at the end. Um, it, these two teams were always going to be at the top of the table for the Australian Super Rugby table anyhow. Um, hopefully uh, a trans-Tasman competition comes at the end of it and we get to measure these two sides. But that these guys are obviously competing for Wallabies jerseys and you expect this competition to continue right the way through this season. Jimmy, um, do you think we'll see more of Paisami and Patea there together in the centres now for the Reds? Obviously, Hamish Stewart dropped for that um, in discipline last week by Brad Thorne. And is that the comp sorry the combination that you want to see within the Wallabies as well? Uh, that, that's a good point. Um, Poisami to me always looked like uh, outside centre was his spot, but if you talk to them, one of his heroes growing up was uh, Ma Nonu, and we all saw Nonu start off as a crash ball runner with not too many variations to his game. As he developed at the Blues and the All Blacks, he put in a really nice long pass. He could drop the little kick onto the onto the boot and he had a really fantastic balanced game. So Paisami's doing that himself. You saw that with the kick for the try. Uh, some of his passing's better than um, people imagined. 
So he has got that role to play perhaps as an inside centre and he gives you that smashing defence. Like he pulled off another huge hit on Caden Neville on the weekend, which uh, forced Neville to cough up a, a ball. And, and that is a terrific asset to have in an inside centre. Someone who can really thump blokes and he, he's only relatively small in stature, but he, he, he just picks on guys uh, six inches taller than him and, and really makes a mark. So is it a test combination? Uh, potentially, because they will have that advantage of having played together quite a bit. Now, Jordan Patea, for mine, is is under some pressure at outside centre for his spot, because I think Len Ikatao has been exceptional for the Brumbies, as as you've uh, said to me off camera. Uh, um, and Patea could well be a winger in the Wallaby mix. Best thing about that is you've got guys pressing each other. Ikatao uh, has done some beautiful things, and it's the very small, subtle things that in and away, he puts on quite regularly and then slips the, the neat short pass. That's a really skillful uh, part of a player's armoury and it just opens up teams time and again. What, what we've seen, Sammy, and, and you, you should have a, a point here as well, is we've, we've seen an, an immature Jordan Bataille, I think, at this stage of his career. He's nowhere near the finished product, but is he better to be learning the game um, out, out wide. We see so many outstanding wingers. Does the Wallabies necessarily have outstanding wingers who can always finish, who can leap into the air? Jordan Bataille could certainly do that. Um, but there is, I think there has to be a discussion, and Scott Johnson, I think, has to play a big role here, along with Dave Rennie. Where do they see these guys, the makeup? And if they do see them as the centres combination, surely for the interests of Australian rugby, they have to be considered as, a, if they're being considered as a test midfield combo, Brad, they should be on the phone to Brad Thorne and Jimmy Mackay going, look, we, we really, everything you can, play as much as you can these two in the centres. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Christy. And I guess a similar situation down at the Rebels at the moment. We know Dane Halep Petty has had this long layoff now with concussion, which we all hope he recovers from um, as best he can as soon as possible. Um, but then you've got a guy, Reese Hodge, playing, you know, out of position at, at number 12, um, which is not really a position um, we've seen him at, at in the Wallabies as yet. So is that message getting down from, from Scott Johnson and, and Dave Rennie around Reese Hodge as well? He played 10 last year, played fullback and on the wing for the Wallabies. So there's clearly um, an issue there still in, in actually formulating this message from the top down. On that, I know I spoke to Dave Vessels this morning and he said that they were viewing Reese Hodge as a fullback this year and the only because of an injury to the Gold Coast Titans recruit who was probably going to be first choice 12 and then a hamstring injury to Lewis Holland, did they then go, okay, we're going to shift Reese Hodge to 12 but Reese had no qualms about moving there and yes, there has been discussions between Rennie as well as Dave Vessels but um, importantly, Bessels was saying, well, look, Francois Stahina, the great Springbok, has won two World Cups and he's played a similar role to Reese Hodge yep. over his career. So, you know, there is a precedent there. Um, we hope those discussions are having right the way through Australian rugby, though. Jimmy, um, the guys at the force, Fergus Lee Warner, um, Bernard Stander, do you think these guys are genuinely a chance of making what will be, what will be a reduced Wallaby squad for, for hopefully the visit of France in a, in a few months' time? Um, I'd like to think there'd be uh, eyeballs on them. Um, everyone saw how well Matt Phillip played last year and 
he he was that sort of under the radar guy at the Western Force that that people took time to really acknowledge. And he was a terrific player coming through there with with work rate. And and Rennie identified that. Okay, he's not two or three inches taller, but what a work rate and what a double effort sort of guy he is. And Warner's first Warner's in that same Lee Warner's in that same situation where he just goes and goes and contributes all the time. So uh, maybe Rennie's looking for the makeup of that sort of lock in the mix as long as well as the sort of the lean uh, line out expert. And we, we get to someone like an Isaac Rodder who's suddenly in the mix. Absolutely. News overnight that, that Isaac will be returning at the end of his his French contract up north to the force could foreseeably play for the Wallabies against France. Christy, any other, uh, not maybe not so much bolters, but guys you think whose stocks are really rising from a, from a Wallabies perspective? Oh, well, you've got to think uh, Uru from, from the Reds, who's uh, so distinguishable with his headgear, and we saw another great run from him against the Brumbies just at the base of the ruck, opened up to coin a turn from, uh, from Greg Clark, like the Red Sea, and he, and he went straight through. The, the important thing about him is if they cap him this year, he is eligible, obviously, for the Wallabies. He's eligible for the Wallabies this year, but if they wait and they hold out, he then will fall under World Rugby's um, five-year residency rule and won't be eligible for some time. So do do Fiji then pick him up uh, in a year's time. So I would imagine that Rugby Australia will be fully aware of that. I know that contracts are being looked at currently with him. Um, so he's, he's someone that you've got to think will be competing alongside a, a Fergus Lee Warner uh, because you can't put them all in there, but we know that Uru can play six as well. He can also play eight. Um, he, he's someone that's certainly caught the eye. Um, I, I wonder, and I don't necessarily see Andy Muirhead getting in or scraping in, but someone like him, um, he was looked at by selectors last year. They, they do think he's got some great agility. He's safe. He's, he's got a, a little bit of... Um, Jack Noel about him, I think, just manages to find space and he's quite elusive. So he's someone that I've been impressed with as well. Jimmy, the Waratahs are obviously going to struggle to get anywhere near the 10 guys they had in the squad last year and, and rightfully so. How much do you think their play and their, I guess, their, their lack of success so far this year will, will hurt Will Harrison? And on the other side, would the Wallabies look at um, including a guy like Carlo Tizano who's just about been there their best player week in, week out with that that huge work rate, particularly in defence of his? I think Will Harrison has had too many reps from the start, not because he's not a good player, uh, but because just because uh, James O'Connor and uh, Noah Lolisio have been significantly better players right from the start of his career. I, I think that's just been a, a flag feebly thrown up in New South Wales, uh, alerting... Uh, a new young star, and he's a, a terrific player, uh, but but he hasn't anywhere near the performances the other two have had over this last two seasons. So I'm fine if Will Harrison spends another season or two just getting the hang of things and and finding his feet at Super Rugby level. I, I just don't think he's he's there yet at all. Um, Tizano, uh, a really busy player, he, he's learning when to go into rucks, when not to. He gives away a few penalties. But he's like a, a rubber man. He's just in there all the time. And, and that's a real classical 
Australian open side flanker like a Chris Roach from years gone by who always there, 25 tackles first game against the Reds. That's phenomenal work rate. Um, he'll learn and he has done off Michael Hooper. So uh, I think he's one, one for the future. Um, I, I think still at the, the leading open sides, Fraser McRide definitely. And uh, Liam Wright's a bit behind at the moment, obviously because of his injury. But I think Fraser McRide's definitely leading the, the young open side flankers race. Christy, what are you hearing out of the Waratahs, mate, of late? Um, clearly some, some issues still at board level. Uh, Chairman Roger Davis under a hell of a lot of heat. Uh, amazing that he was away uh, bushwalking in Tasmania while the, the franchise was going through its worst run in, in uh, the best part of a decade, uh, probably longer. Um, what are you hearing from uh, Daceville uh, this week? Oh, look, I don't think that Rob Penny is under immediate threat, but um, it's amazing that... You know the the the, shot, the slight shift in narrative to, um, you know, this guy has just been thrown under the bus almost. That's what it's become. But at the end of the day, results speak uh, louder than anything else. And I think in two or three weeks' time, if they still haven't got a win, then then Penny will be very much. If, if he's not already on thin ice, it probably would have broken up completely. I'd say. I know that. The support around him, that there have been some questions as to the quality of assistant coaches. Um, Chris Whitaker has been there for some time. He doesn't have a huge rap, from my understanding, a great of, of New South Wales rugby and, and a much-loved son. Um, Matt Cobain, too, previously was at the Rebels, went to Japan, more experience, but still some questions over him. And, and, and Jason Gilmore, too. He was let, you've got to remember he was let go by the Reds um, for various reasons, and they went through their own coaching tumultuous period. Um, but I, I don't see any action being taken for some time. But I've also been told by countless people that people on the board, those like Al Baxter, lovely, lovely guys, not, not many bad words could ever be said about Al Baxter, but does he know much about rugby? And, and there have been people that have questioned that. And, and it's surprising when someone's played 50, 60 caps, however many caps he's played for the Wallabies, but doesn't necessarily have a great understanding of rugby. And those sorts of questions are being looked at with the board too. Talking with uh, the LA Giltinis, excuse me, yesterday, and um, particularly Stephen Hoyles uh, around a guy like Darren Coleman, who, who's taking charge of that expansion franchise in the MLR uh, as a guy who's had a huge amount of success here in the Shoot Shield over the last four or five years in particular, winning um, premierships with both Warringah and Gordon last year. Um, was down at the Brumbies for a while in an academy perspective, has coached overseas in Japan. Um, is he another one that they, they've let go, Christy, a la Simon Cronin? And is there an opportunity that he could perhaps be the man to, to take charge in a few years' time? I think he's absolutely a person. Like, how can you not consider him he's he's turned clubs around he's given a premiership to as you said Ringo and then turned Gordon around very quickly like they were the laughing stock of shoot, shoot shield for oh, well. a, a long while Gordon uh, a club with the proud history a long history on the northern um on the on the upper north shoreline of Sydney um he absolutely uh, is someone that people have questioned why he hasn't been looked at. And, and some people go, oh, look, he's just bought players and he's bought a club and that's how he's turned it around. Well, okay, you do do that in, in Super Rugby as well, don't you? You do buy players. You do look at how you can turn clubs around. 
I know another person that has been spoken about um, within New South Wales rugby circles is John Menenti, the, the women's coach who, who did a very good job throughout a, a long period in the shoot shield before getting into the Australian seven setup. So I think if you're not going to go for someone with the public profile of Michael Checker, who I know wants to have another crack at the Wallabies at some point in time, those two names should be, I think, right at the top of the list. And, and perhaps most importantly, they're Australians who know the New South Wales and the Sydney landscape like the back of their hands. Yes, interesting yarn of yours last week. Drawing a fair bit of uh, feedback on social media, probably just as many in the, the pro-checker camp as in the absolutely no-way checker camp. Uh, Jimmy, the France series, uh, how important is it that it goes ahead for Australian rugby? Um, we still haven't seen any firm dates, um, tickets go on sale or anything like that. We know it's probably going to be a weakened France outfit, and if that does come down, then... Is that doing more harm than good? Um, my latest uh, intel on that is that uh, the series will go ahead and perhaps uh, bumped a week later and that the French are very up for the tour. And if they come, maybe uh, their squad will come in two parts. They'll have an initial advance party and then more players come out uh, a bit later on. I, I think uh, you, you can't look past what's coming up and that's the 2023 Rugby World Cup in France uh, for them to do well there they're playing the All Blacks in the in the opener like it's just absolutely massive so they have to play Southern Hemisphere teams so this uh, two years out from the World Cup is a significant tour for them and especially a three test series they're coming to a essentially a COVID clear country where they can do perhaps more than they can do in uh, a lot of other countries like going to the UK or anywhere like that so I think the French will be surprised, or not surprised, but I think you'll see a near full-strength French side come out and take this on as a really significant tour. And that'll be fantastic for Australian fans as well because they're playing some really attractive rugby at the moment. And it's I thought we'd lost this dynamism in French rugby. We've seen some fairly disjointed French efforts in recent years. But just over this recent period, they have been tremendous. And the forwards and backs linking together, lovely interplay in the backs, speed and vitality. And that's exactly what Australian rugby needs on, on our TV screens this year. Christy, I know you've been studying up on the French now for some time and uh, clearly watched the game on the weekend against England where they were pipped at the post via Amaro Atoshi try. Um, what have you seen in them? And clearly everyone's raving about Antoine Dupont at, uh, at number nine and my best French accent there. Um, hell of a player, a real link man that pops up all over the park and can really set that attack alight. He is indeed, and he was um, he was on show again against England. He scored after seventy seconds, backing up to a Teddy Thomas kick out wide. It was scintillating stuff. The, the other thing about the French at the moment is they're, they're known as one of the, well, if not the best, very close to the best Six Nations side at the moment, but. They haven't played a Southern Hemisphere team in a long while. And so they are, from my understanding, very keen to test themselves against, you know, even though it might be a somewhat of a, a lesser or a fallen Southern Hemisphere giant, the Wallabies, they're still going to play an attacking brand of rugby, which is very different to what we see up north. But looking at the weekend's action, and you've got a guy like Vakatawa at outside centre, who's just a beast at 13. Um, he he was very close to being the European Player of the Year last year. 
they've got a hooker there who is a bit like Dane Coles that is that is very quick, has great skills, um, and right across their side, a, a, a captain in the back row, um, Roman Antimac, who is only 22, 23. A couple of years ago, was being considered as the best new young 10 in the world, and he's now just going to struggle perhaps to get back into the starting 15. He, he made his return off the bench after an injury, but they have got a lot of depth and, and so much class at fly half particularly. And what I, I noticed from particularly France at the moment is these 10s are quick, and, and once upon a time, passing perhaps – um, was was and, and being able to put people into space was one of the key things about a fly half. Now you have to do it all. You've got to be able to kick. You've also got to have speed, and that's, that's why Richie Malunga and Bowden Barrett are so such threats because they can challenge the line, and, and if they see some space, they can take it. But defenses with the rush defense that most teams and international teams are implementing. To be able to have that pace at 10 is important. And that's where you question whether or not someone like James O'Connor in two years' time will be the Wallabies 10 because he's 31 and he doesn't have the speed as what he once did. So the French, are, it's such an exciting prospect them coming because they'll be a completely different squad to what they were in 2014 when they were simply outclassed and beaten by, by an Australian side under Ewan McKenzie. Yeah, Touchwood, they uh, they do actually come down in a few months' time. Um, I think it'll be a hell of a series and a real test for the Wallabies going up against what is a an informed French outfit. Christy, just before we go, uh, an update on uh, the Trans-Tasman crossover series? Yeah, I just got off the phone to one source who said a decision is expected for perhaps even as much as, as far away as a month, to the middle of April, they're thinking. Um, and this isn't necessarily a surprise, um, given that we know that COVID is so fluid and things are changing, but they've got multiple plans uh, and contingency plans up their sleeves. Uh, they're planning at this stage and they're optimistic that still the fully uh, integrated five, six-week tournament can take place, um, but they are well aware that that might not happen. Might we even see the possibilities of if, if, if it doesn't get away, underway, the top side of each competition just meeting and perhaps that might be the Brumbies or the Reds that go across the ditch to play for a winner takes all you know everything is on the line um, but we know that internally they're having discussions every day Rugby Australia is and then once or twice a week they're meeting with their counterparts and that there is that there is optimism and there's also a will and a willingness and a want to get this up and cross the line from both Australian and New Zealand sides. Great news. Jimmy, um, one last point from you, uh, perhaps on the Reds, mate. Uh, clearly, this looks like their competition to lose now. What would you like to see them uh, perhaps uh, improve in the coming weeks? Uh, there's a reasonable reliance on Taniela Tupo in, in the scrum. So they've got uh, Ruan Smith, the former Reds player, uh, he's been activated for a one-month uh, period. He's going to the Giltinis in LA, but they've put him on um, short-term contract to cover Feo Fotowaka, who uh, was uh, suspended. So they can see a bit of coverage there needed. Uh, what I want to see from the Reds, uh, just more of the same, and that tantalising idea of the Trans-Tasman competition where we could have Reds against Crusaders at Suncorp, and that 
could possibly be that 25,000, 30,000 game where you get two elite teams uh, coming together and we'll just really see a cracking match. So that's uh, my dream. And also hearing uh, more French pronunciation from our friend Christy. Yes, we'll all be working on those over the coming weeks. Uh, boys, thanks very much. It's been a, a pleasure, Jimmy, to have you on for the first time, mate. Uh, go well up there in, in Queensland. We're, we're still following your work around the grounds. And um, Christy, mate, keep tripping. Uh, keep tripping. Keep chugging away. Uh, we're always following you as well. Thanks, boys. Thank you. I'll certainly be tripping on those French accents. <laughs>